Last week we looked at these two passages, the great commandment and the great commission, as a way of clarifying God's purpose for our lives. In other words, it, these two things essentially simplifies, boils down uh, what it is we are to be about. God's purpose for our lives. And therefore, God's purpose for His church. The great commandment is about loving the Lord. First and foremost, with everything we have and, and do and are. And the great commission is about reaching people for the Lord. And discipling them in the Lord. And we reviewed... We just reviewed, last week, we reviewed this model for ministry that I introduced four months ago. Of course, I don't expect that you have yet grasped it fully. We've only introduced it, but now we're beginning to flesh it out. So last week, we reviewed our purpose and priority as a church and how these things are affecting our, our current practice and, and our plan for the future. And the overarching point, remember, is that the church including our church, it works and worships as God intends only when His purpose becomes our practice. So last week was simply a refresher. Today is the application. If you weren't here last week, or even if you're visiting this morning, I just want to say to you and admit at the start that, that this may seem a little disjointed to you, uh, because today's message really is the second half of last week's sermon. It's the, it, like I said, it's the application. Today we want to apply some things. By the way, we do have recordings available online and uh, CDs in the back. And so I encourage you, if you weren't here, to pick up a copy. And I, I suspect that God would bless you in that endeavor. Today I want to answer the question, what does fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the great commandment mean for us? What does practicing God's purpose mean for us? How do these things apply specifically to East Parkway Church? I have three things. I started with about 10 or 12 things. And then I narrowed them down to five things. And then I got together with Andre on Friday afternoon, and he said, you've got to whittle it down even more. And so I whittled it down to three things. I've tried to consolidate thoughts into three main things as they pertain to East Parkway Church. Practicing God's purpose means, number one, be willing to leave the familiar. Be willing to leave the familiar. The Bible provides numerous examples of this. Abraham left the familiar. God said to him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And Abraham went, 
leaving behind all that was familiar to him to follow the call of God. Moses left the familiar. Moses was tending sheep in the land of Midian. He had been in Midian for 40 years. He had put down roots. He had settled in Midian when God sent him back to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel. Moses didn't want to go, remember. Making him a great example of leaving the familiar even when you may not want to. But by faith in God, he followed the call of God. The first Christian disciples left the familiar. They were fishing in the Sea of Galilee when Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we're told that Peter and his brother Andrew immediately left their nets, their livelihood, to follow Christ. And he continued on, Jesus continued on, and he called James and John also, who also left their boat and their father to follow Jesus. And of course, Jesus himself is the greatest example of leaving the familiar, right? So we think of John 1, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the very beginning was the Word. And the Word was, was, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so Jesus, the divine Son of God, had enjoyed eternal, unlimited, unbroken communion with God in heaven, and yet the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In love, in the love of God, who so loved the world, Jesus left the glories of heaven to seek and save the lost on earth. Therefore, therefore, at the heart of the Christian gospel is a willingness to leave the familiar. Without this willingness, we can become complacent toward God and the mission of God in this world. Without this willingness, we can become closed off to the world. Without this willingness, we can become disinterested toward others, particularly those who are perishing in their sins. Without this willingness, routine and mere roteness can get in the way of the church fulfilling its God-given purpose. I want to share a hard truth with you. It's hard for me to share this truth with you. One of the things I've heard from people over the years is that sometimes we seem content with being a social club instead of a church that understands its purpose to affect our community with the gospel. It's been suggested that if you're not part of the theology club or the conservative club or the We Love Tradition club, then it's near impossible to make meaningful relationships that center around God's saving work 
in the world and in our lives. They grow discouraged over the lack of enthusiasm for something new, including new life. They've said we are set in our ways and that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. They've even suggested that we're content being comfortable. These are people who know us and sincerely love us. And some of them are seated in this room. They don't want to hurt you. Neither do I. But it goes to show just how thick our East, Park, our East Parkway culture runs. Like a fish that doesn't know it's wet. We don't realize the effect our apparent aversion to leave the familiar is having on us and on others around us. Dear East Parkway, we need to change. As hard as this may be to hear and as defensive as we may feel, I feel it too. There is truth here from which we should learn. And in my opinion, the change begins with understanding and embracing our God-given purpose and then embarking on the call to follow as he leads. As I've shared with you recently, one of the, the common symptoms of a struggling church or a church in need of revitalization is its failure to clarify and communicate its purpose. Purpose is important, and yet, even having a purpose statement is unfamiliar territory for us, isn't, isn't it? I know that. I'm sensitive to it. I know it's new. I even know that some of you may not yet be on board. I get it. But for far too long... In my opinion, for far too long, we've gathered in the church without really knowing what we're about as a church. So I want us to know our purpose and apply it to all facets of ministry. I want us to be able to share it. When someone asks you what we're about as a church, I want you to be able to say with confidence and clarity that we are about fulfilling the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. And I want us to mean it. I want our worship for God to energize and inspire our witness in the world. We take and we take and we take in. We take in, we take in. I'm saying give it away. I want the culture here to be such that each one of us is willing to leave the familiar confines of our respective circles to reach people for the Lord whom he places in our lives. We all have those people. I want us to make disciples and disciple one another in the Lord. I want this to be a place where new life in Christ is not just discussed theologically, but experienced practically. Uh, uh, Bob Hughes used to say that there is, there is 
nothing that breathes life into the church like new life. I want us to see new people coming to church. I want us to bring people to church. I want us to experience the power of God firsthand. I want, to, I want us to, to know and see and cry and weep and celebrate over the power of the gospel to save and change lives. Not everything needs to change. I want you to hear that. Our core values won't change. We still affirm the systematic expositional uh, preaching of God's word, for example, so that, so that God's word remains front and center. We still affirm, that God, uh, that, that we still affirm worship that's God-centered. And worship leaders who, first and foremost, are lead worshipers. We still affirm authentic, intergenerational community and the nurture of lifelong relationships. These are just three examples. And we affirm the power of the gospel. That's the point. That's what I want you to hear. I want to fully, and you do too. I know this. You do too. I want a fully orbed gospel ministry. I want us to experience the full power of the gospel. Don't you? The gospel never changes, of course. The gospel never changes. But please hear this. The cultural context in which it's presented changes all the time. And I believe that if we're to experience the fullness of the gospel, then we need to take an honest look at our East Parkway culture and be willing to change when necessary. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, isn't that what he meant when he talked about being all things to all people? He knew the unchanging nature of the gospel, and yet he knew the cultural context in which the gospel is shared, and he flexed accordingly. And so for the Jew, he became a Jew. For those who were strict law keepers, uh, he became as one under the law, even though he was free from the law through Christ. For those who weren't familiar with with the law. He became as one outside the law. For the weak, he became weak. He did all of this so that by all means possible, he might save some. Paul was sensitive to the culture. He knew that not everyone thought the same or looked the same or came from the same background or even shared the same preferences. And Paul considered these things important. He never compromised the gospel. He never compromised the gospel, but he contextualized it all the time. He was willing to leave the he was willing to leave what was familiar to him to reach people on their turf with the truth of God and his saving work in their lives.
and so must we. We must be willing to leave the familiar. Number two, we must accept the inherent risk. It's the flip side of the first point. The plain fact is that leaving the familiar comes with certain risk. So you remember when Joshua was about to leave the familiar to take the promised land. What did God say to him in those moments? Yeah, be strong and courageous. Three times, three times in, in Joshua 1, God says to, to Joshua, be strong and courageous. You get to the end of Joshua 1, I find this so cool. The people of Israel say to Joshua. They knew him as their leader. They accepted him as their leader. They embraced him as their leader. But the people of Israel say to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Now, what does that say to us? I think it suggests quite clearly that Joshua was afraid and he was attempted to turn back. He knew That entering the land of Canaan came with great risk. Joshua knew that leading the people into the promised land meant no turning back. It was an all-in proposition. But Joshua also knew that God had called him and was with him. So he was to be strong and courageous. Dear East Parkway, be strong and courageous. And I don't want to be dramatic. I don't. But I sincerely believe that this is a make or break year for us. I believe God has brought us to this point that our entire history as a church has led us to this opportunity. I believe that God wastes nothing, that he's been in it all. He's been with us the whole time. He's leading the way and he's smack dab in the middle of what's going on. It's like we're on the east side of the Jordan and we got to cross the river. I believe he's calling us forth and we need to go all in. We can't hold back or turn back like Joshua. We must be strong. We must be courageous. By the way, strength is not the absence of weakness. It's trusting God in your weakness. And courage is not the absence of fear. It's trusting God despite the fear. I want to tell you a little I want to try to illustrate this, tell you a little story about how this is playing out in our family. Right now. When we moved to Lincoln last year, we did so believing. I mean, we were really praying. We were asking God, you lead us. You direct our paths. We know you'll provide for us. We want to know where. And we believe that God led us to that community. And we moved with the intent to become part of that community and to do our little part to help reach that community for Christ. And so Sally and I, through prayer and a lot of discussion and a lot of discussion with other people, we decided that because so much of of life as parents, so much of life centers around your kids, 
We decided that we want our kids to be part of the community too. And so we pulled them out of private Christian school and we placed them in the local public schools. And it's, it's risky. I know that. Again, I've been in youth ministry my whole life almost. It's risky. The girls were settled at their old school. They had an established group of friends. They were surrounded and supported by people who shared their beliefs and worldview. But that's not the case anymore. They're starting from square one. And overall, I think it's going really, really well. I'm so proud of them. So thankful to God. They're meeting new people. They're making new friends. They're bumping up against differing views. That's never easy. But I tell you, it leads for great conversation as a family. It's having a solidifying effect on what we believe while also helping them to see the great need of those who don't believe. Yes, it's been rocky at times. I'd be lying if I said it, it hasn't been. It's, it's been rocky at times. There have been some tears. The girls are still adjusting. But we still believe that God has us there for a reason and that he's with us every step of the way and we want to remain strong and courageous. Let me ask you this. Since when? Since when? Is Christ's call a risk-free endeavor? Since when? Since when is Christ's call a risk-free endeavor? I mean, there are people literally right now, right now, there are people across the world who are risking everything just to be a Christian. But I think sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we're afraid to take risks. We're afraid even to make simple mistakes. In sports terms, sometimes we play not to lose instead of playing to win. We sometimes think we've got to get everything nip and tuck before moving forward in certain circles. And I've overheard this myself. We pray and we talk as if God is not for us. And we assume this posture of defeat and it chips away. It just chips away at our strength and courage. At least it has for me at times. I want to say to you, beloved East Parkway, we cannot be afraid to fail. And I even use that word fail loosely because I think it's more like falling down. It's not failure. It's like falling down. <laughs> Andre said it's like riding a bike in a sense. That you just know that one of the risks of riding a bike is you're going to fall down. 
And it isn't a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And so you just accept it. And you learn from it. And you press on. It means not being afraid of the unknown. It means trying new things, including the way we make decisions and do ministry. And we're talking about this even now on the elder board level and with our ministry leaders. It means being, it means being vigilant and thoughtful, absolutely, but not overanalyzing everything and having to get it right. Excuse me, having to get it right before taking any action. I want you to hear this. It means leaving room for faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very, very familiar passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't do that. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. And I want you to see that it's not... It's not get it right until he makes your path straight and then trust in the Lord. It's trust in the Lord, acknowledge the Lord, then he'll make your path straight. In other words, that's, it's, that's where faith becomes faith. It's in that gap between the familiar and the unfamiliar where risk is involved and we have to trust God. So we want to move forward with faith and hope and love, but, but not precision necessarily or perfection because we know there will be bumps along the way. Of course there will be times when the waters get rough. Of course there will be crises on occasion, like finances, right? I mean, we're facing a very real financial challenge, as you know. But like Sarah Kenny reminded me, she sent me an email this week, so timely. She said, these things shouldn't deter us from the mission to which God has called us. And then she included a quote from a book she was reading. And the quote said, let us remind ourselves that the Great Commission was never qualified by clauses calling for our advance only if funds were plentiful and no hardship or self-denial involved. Andre and I were talking about a month ago. And he used the analogy of sin. I think it's a good one. He said we don't overcome sin. We, you know this, right? We don't overcome sin by focusing on the sin. We overcome sin by looking to Christ who has conquered sin and frees us from sin. We overcome sin by grabbing hold of Jesus and forgetting what is behind and pressing on to take hold of him. And so like an Olympic hurdler, right, you've seen them run. The Olympic hurdler learns how to look past the hurdles to the finish line ahead. And in the same way, we need to look to Christ 
We need to accept and overcome these risks, these hurdles, by keeping sight of the mission to which he's called us. Number three. Invest in the future by faith. Invest in the future by faith. Hebrews 11 begins with these words. Hebrews 11, of course, is that great chapter that lists many of the faithful saints of old. Some have called it the hall of faith. Well, Hebrews 11 begins with these words. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things Finish it for me. Not seen. We read a little further. We get to verse 13 of that same chapter. And we read of these people who all died in faith, having not received the things promised but having seen them from afar. In other words, they pressed on by faith in God even when they didn't see or receive immediate results. Did you get that? They press on by faith in God even when they didn't see or receive immediate results. Faith is forward-looking. Faith sees what isn't presently seen. Faith invests in the future. That's why vision is so important. And that vision sees what doesn't yet exist, but could or should. And last week I mentioned uh, going back to school. And, and honestly, frankly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's to become of my schooling. I'm not sure what having my seminary degree will do for me but I know who I want to become. I know who I want to become. And so I'm investing in the future. In the same way, we need to see who we can become by God's grace. We've got to decide who we want to be and then do whatever it takes to get there. Right? Isn't that what some of you have counseled me about schooling? It's great counsel. It just took me a while to get it. But some of you, probably Jim, you're probably the loudest. Thank you. It's like, do whatever it takes to finish your schooling. Do whatever it takes. And I'm saying, we've got to see as a church who we want to become and do whatever it takes. And so I've tried to come at this from different angles over the years. I'll walk you through. You may remember my I Have a Dream sermon from 2012, uh, where I shared some of my dreams for the church, things that don't yet exist but could or should. And then there was our fall kickoff of 2013, where we gathered right here around round tables, and I had a PowerPoint, and we talked, we discussed about some of the things, uh, about some of who we are and who we want to be. And it was at that fall kickoff where I, uh, I initially shared with you my desire to plant a second service. And so then we get to 2014 and the launch of that second service. And I knew, I knew that we couldn't fill two services ourselves. 
but I wanted us to look beyond ourselves. I knew it was risky. I want us to look beyond ourselves and bring new people to church, which is why I called it a church plant. And now in 2015, I'm presenting this new model of ministry, not because it's a great model, not because it's a great purpose statement, but because it's a great purpose. I'm looking to inspire your investment in the future of our church. So when Sally and Franny and Renee stand before you and they say, we have this this ministry and we need your help. I want you to say that, that that there is a definite here and now need, right? There's a definite here and now need that's being communicated. But I want you to also see What will my investment here and now mean a year from now? How can I be part of solidifying and building that ministry so that a year from now it's even all the more stronger? Ultimately, though, you have to want it. We all do. You have to see with the eyes of faith what doesn't yet exist but could Like those listed in Hebrews 11, we have to trust and obey the Lord even when we don't see immediate results. Specifically, I want us to target the future, literally. I want us to target the next generation, particularly youth and young families. Now, now let me back up a step. This is not at the exclusion of everyone else. Please hear that. Our goal is not simply to get younger. The goal is greater church health. The goal is greater vitality across all ages. But I'm concerned with the long-term vitality of our church. I know some of you are too. We know how quickly time flies. Months turn to years, and before you know it, The median age in the congregation has increased by a decade. Investing in the future of the church means thinking specifically about how how to value young people and young families. Right? This is getting back to kind of like Paul's contextualizing the all things to all people maintaining the gospel. And I know we value young people, young families in theory, but have we taken the necessary steps to connect with them and include them and truly esteem their input and giftedness, even to learn from them? Have we really tried to understand them and their particular needs given their stage in life? Like like my wife was sharing this morning, there are particular needs of a young mom. We want to understand this. We want to understand, we want to just ask the question, why aren't younger generations 
as well represented at East Parkway Church. And then begin to, to, to ask, what can we do about that without compromising the gospel? Investing in the future also means cultivating future leaders, including younger leaders. And so each week, I invest time with Andre. Each week, Tuesday afternoon, it's just a standing appointment. We talk and we pray and we read and we plan and we laugh and we get frustrated and we vent and we rant and we laugh some more and we talk and we pray and it's so good for all of us, for both of us. And then each week, this is so exciting to me, each week Andre spends time with Anthony and they do the same thing. Happy birthday, by the way, Anthony. And I'm so excited to see how you are growing in the Lord and becoming more involved in the ministry of the Lord and his church. And so he's a key player on the student ministry team. He's one of our on-site baristas every Sunday morning. But it's all been very intentional. There's discipleship taking place from one person to the next to the next, from one generation to the next. And that needs to be replicated amongst all of us. So we're talking with our ministry leaders about the need to cultivate new and future leaders. This does two things. First, it keeps any one person from feeling that ministry is all on them. You ever felt like that? You ever just felt like this is all on me? And I can't, I can't take a break or it'll just collapse. Or I'll let people down. We don't want you to feel that way. We don't want you to feel that it's all on you. We want to, we want to encourage the cultivation of more leaders. And the other thing this does is it affirms others in the church who are just, they're, they're sitting here, they love the church, they, they're, they're more than willing to serve, but they just need someone to believe in them. Spend time with them. Invest in them. They need someone to know that they're noticed that they're valuable, that their gifts are appreciated, and that God can use those gifts in mighty ways for his kingdom. It won't happen overnight. It doesn't need to. The point is to invest in the future now in trusting the results to God, knowing that he is graciously perfecting this work he's begun in us. He's perfecting it. Like I said, I think everything in our history has brought us to this point. God's been perfecting it all along the way. And so East Parkway, I'm asking you, 
Are, are you willing to leave the familiar? Will you accept the, in, the inherent risk? Being strong and courageous. Will you invest in the future by faith? Knowing that you won't always see the results. Immediately or ever this side of heaven. But will you invest nonetheless? And there's always more that could be said. I know that. But these are the things that God has been impressing upon me. And I pray you'll join me. In fact, prayer is most important. It's the heart of it all. Can't do this ourselves. We're not supposed to. So let's work and pray and pray and work as an expression of our need for God and our desire to honor Him in all things. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the time we've shared this morning. It has been... Um, I'm just so thankful that you've been here with us. We know that. You've, you've led us. Thank you for speaking to us. Help us to discern and apply and respond accordingly for the good of your church, for the good of those folks out there in the highways and byways of our lives who don't yet know Christ. And ultimately for the glory of your name. Through Christ. Amen.